Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Brad Mavis. Brad, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. This is very important and, and topical information. Brad's going to share with us how he is helping small business owners like myself to get, and so first of all, see if we can get, but then how to apply and get what's called the employee retention tax credit. And Brad's going to explain what that is. But if your business was impacted by COVID-19 last year, which I can raise my hand to, then you may qualify for this employee retention tax credit. And it's actually a refund. So this is valuable stuff. And so Brad has uh, focused as part of he's been focusing for the last year, helping small businesses with all of the different programs, but specifically now at this point in the process, the employee retention tax credit, or you may have heard it referred to as ERC. So that's what we're going to focus on in this episode. If you want to receive more information about the how of business, including the things we're going to talk about in this episode, including a special offer from Brad on this episode, then just go to the show notes page for this episode, or you can also text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 772-837-5700, or go to thehowofbusiness.com. So let me give you a little bit more about Brad Mavis. Brad Mavis is an entrepreneur and the founder of the Mavis Group and COVID19loans.org. This is an organization he formed uh, over a year ago now to help people with everything related to COVID-19 programs, including loans. So COVID19loans.org, which is a company that, as I said, helps, helps secure loan forgiveness now and the employee retention tax credits that I just mentioned we're going to do a deep dive on in this episode. He received his MBA from UC Irvine and an undergraduate degree in economics from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C. He has held roles as an equity analyst and a management consultant. Brad has also been published globally, including on uh, the, the site uh, Divestopia, uh, which is a leading site designed to assist business owners to sell their business at the best price and terms, as well as numerous industry publications in North America, Australia, Africa, Asia, and Europe. He's an international speaker. He speaks English and Spanish, by the way, and has lived both in Chile and in Mexico. So Currently, though, Brad lives in Newport Beach, California. And so once again, Brad Mavis, welcome to the show. Wow, that was a uh, quite the introduction. I, I, know, I, you I hope sound I can, like an important person. <laughs> I hope I can live up to that. I hope so, too. I got some, I got some big shoes to fill. <laughs> I'd be curious. I've never asked you this before, but how did you end up in Chile? So I lived in Chile. Uh, I was about 20 years old. Uh, I was in college at the time. And, and when... Um, when everybody else was doing their international residentials, they would go to Spain and kind of nice. you know do the things. So I said, I want to go to the place. I knew I wanted to go to a Spanish-speaking country. I want to go to the place, basically the furthest place away where there's no other Americans that nobody else has been to. So I looked at the map and I was like, huh, Chile. Um, I've never been to Chile before. And I don't know anybody who's been to Chile before. So um, I found a basically a program that that got me down there and then I directly enrolled in the University of University of Chile uh, and by accident I enrolled in their business school actually wow. uh, so their postgraduate business school while I was still an undergraduate and uh, I it was this really weird accident actually so I, I, I enroll in this this class and it's called you know La Politica Negocios, which is, you know, I, at the time I thought it was politics and business. Oh, that'll be interesting. Well, it was actually the capstone MBA program uh, for, <laughs> for the business school. But uh, as is common in my life, I've made a lot of mistakes that turned out to, you know, work out really well. And that was one of them. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then what brought you to Mexico? Was that uh, shortly after that or was that later in your life? So in Mexico, I, I spent a lot of time in Mexico, but kind of the, the, the longest period in Mexico was um, in my early 20s. And I just, uh, this is before I was, you know, working in the family business and wanted to take some time just traveling. So I'm from Southern California. You know, I live in Newport Beach now. Um, so we, me and a buddy from high school at the time, we reconnected, uh, hopped on a bus uh, and took a bus from Southern California all the way down to the Baja Peninsula 
hopped over to Mazatlan, went all the way down to Mexico City, south of Mexico City to Puebla, um, and then ran out of money uh, and <laughs> had to figure out how to get back home. That's wonderful. What, what a great experience is, my goodness. Yeah, lots of fun. No doubt. All right, so let, let's talk about your, your early career. You, you have such a diverse background, but just give me a synopsis of, of what you did after those adventures as you started your career. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, uh, as I, you know, when I got home, so going you know, way back, you know, I started working in the family business. And so as what I- What was the family business? Family business on automotive repair. So collision repair. Um, you know, my dad's owned that business for, you know, for 30 years. And so I was going to go to work, you know, as a banker. Uh, and, you know, but before I was going to go to work as a banker, get like a real job, uh, I was like, oh, you know, I'd work summers and winters at the family business. And, you know, so I said, well, dad, you know, I'll, I'll you know, make a couple bucks, you know, kind of figure out what I'm going to do next. And, you know, next thing you know, a few weeks turned into a few months, turned into a few years, turned into, you know, I was running the, the business for, for a decade, which that was probably the, the, the other, you know, big accident, big, you know, the, the, the mistake that turned into a great adventure. Um, in that, yeah, you know, I never planned to run a small business, but in my early twenties, I was running a multi-million dollar business, and uh, you know, responsible for everything that comes along with that. You know, while my cohort, my classmates, were you know working as analysts in consulting companies, um, I was getting you know boots on the ground, uh, real world business education. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then what happened? What ended up happening with that business? Uh, so I ran it for about 10 years. Ultimately, you know, I, I got a little restless. Uh, I'd always wanted to have a, a larger impact than just kind of our five to 10 mile radius where we were pulling customers from. Sure. And uh, ultimately left, got an MBA at UC Irvine, uh, specialized in finance, uh, did some equity research work uh, at an investment bank here in Newport Beach called Roth Capital Partners. And then, you know, after doing that for you know, a very short amount of time, I uh, uh, started my own advisory firm and where, you know, focused on taking really Wall Street, you know, what I learned in business school, and what I learned in equity research and taking kind of that level of sophistication, bringing it back to Main Street, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the, the small businesses that I knew that I had worked with uh, in, in marrying the two. And so when I started my advisory firm, what, six, seven, eight years ago, however long it was, um, that, you know, I said, well, you know, well, who do I know? Well, you know, I know a lot of people in the automotive industry. And so I kind of, you know, built a practice, you know, serving, uh, you know, business owners in the, what I probably call the automotive aftermarket on, you know, outsource CFO work. So, you know, how to, how to talk to your bank to, to raise, to, to, to get a loan, how to, um, you know, how to buy another business, how to sell another business, how to, um, you know, really how to use corporate finance to, um, to, to increase the value of your, your business. Yeah. And then you ended up then focusing on mergers and acquisitions, right? Yep, exactly. So, um, you know, through that process of through doing the equity research work and the, and, and, and the investment bank work, uh, you know, within the automotive aftermarket, uh, a lot of a lot of investors were coming in at the time. A lot of private equity groups were coming in. Uh, still are. Uh, there still is a lot of private equity uh, in, uh, investment in the space. And so, because I, you know, I speak, you know, I speak finance. You know, I speak small business. It was a, a, a natural place for me to come together and serve both, you know, both areas. So even now, I, you know, I'm on advisory boards for different private equity groups or different. Uh, private equity backed companies to manage their corporate finance uh, relation or their corporate finance roles. Also, you know, but then, you know, advising small business owners on, you know, hey, how are deals done? How are they structured? What do you need to, you know, what do you need to look out for? And how do you, you know, from from a, a business brokerage standpoint, you know, and an emergency acquisition standpoint, it's really, you know, you know, how do you tell the story? How do, how do you tell the story in numbers? How do you tell the story in facts and figures so that, when an investor or a, a sophisticated buyer comes to you wants to buy the business, you could give them that story that makes sense that they could translate to their board. And it's the same thing, you know, if you're dealing with a bank and you're trying to get whether it's a line of credit or a loan or an acquisition loan, how do you take that story that you as a business owner you, you inherently get? It's in your gut, but but how do you how do you translate into, into the language of, of of finance and accounting so that when it goes to the credit analyst, it goes to the underwriting team, it go you know it goes to this department that you don't have control over, uh, it goes to the board, it, it it's telling the right story, and so yeah. it's it's 
you know, so that's, you know, that's kind of the, you know, that's the, the corporate finance piece of the business. Yeah. Well said is an interesting way to put it. You know, you speaking multiple languages, it is another language that most of us as small business owners do not speak. And, and you, but yet that's how it's most effective. We got to give them the story of our business and what we're asking that investment for in their language is how it's most effective. I never have heard it put that way. As I was getting ready for this episode, I was trying to figure out when we first met. And I think, Brad, that you did a speaking engagement at one of the car wash conferences several years ago. Is that yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it, yeah. Yeah. That was that. And, and exactly on this topic on private That's equity right. coming in the car wash business. And so the, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's really cool because, you know, I've always been a student in the business and then that I kind of use the analogy. It's like putting puzzles pieces together. Uh, and that's what makes, that's why I get, I'm, I'm probably the most non-numbers numbers guy out there. Right. You know, I get really excited by all this stuff because it's like putting all these puzzle pieces together. And the cool thing about the car wash uh, engagement was that, so we have, you know, we have this collision repair industry, which is a very, you know, kind of a niche industry. It's a large industry, 30, $40 billion industry. And so you have all these investors coming in for, you know, all these different, you know, reasons. And then the same investors who went into automotive repair found car wash. Nice. And this was like brand new for car wash at the time. And now if you're in car wash, it's kind of, you know, private equity is kind of a, you know, a known commodity, but you know, you know, five years ago it was like, well, what, you know, who are these private equity groups and why are they coming in? And they were all the same and they were investing for the same reasons. So it, it's interesting to put those puzzle pieces together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me what led then last year, time frame, besides the obvious impact to you then shifting, at least for now, to helping people with all of the COVID-19 programs. Yeah. So, you know, I think the craziest thing that happened to me last year is, so, you know, I was helping businesses and, you know, with this corporate finance work, you know, you know, SBA loans and mergers acquisitions and whatnot. And so all of a sudden middle of March last year, basically, you know, the economy shuts down almost overnight. Really? And like, right. You know, it didn't know that. And, and I remember kind of looking around going, oh man, like I got to put my seatbelt on. This is going to be a rough year. Like this, like kind of like, you know, saying, you know, woe is me. And, and a banker reached out to me uh, who, who knew me. And, 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 and I, so I started helping, I started helping clients with what was called the EIDL loans and, and the EIDL is economic impact disaster loans. This is back before the PPP, before the CARES Act. And it was like this 28 page long, very bureaucratic, very, very difficult, very obtuse application process. So, but it was the only aid that was out there at the time. And so I was going to clients and say, listen, like grab this while you can. It's, it's like, you know, it's a lot of work, but let's, let's, let's grab it while we can. Um, and so a banker reached out to me. He's like, Hey, I see what you're doing. Like, I'm really impressed with how quickly you pivoted, uh, how, you know, how on top of this you, you were, uh, I'm part of this working group that I think you get a lot of value out of that I think you should be part of. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, send me the information. And so he sends me this information and it's this, 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 you know, it's a, you know, a working group and small business disaster relief financing. And I'm like, okay, it looks interesting. So, you know, I go on there and, you know, not thinking too much of it. And it's a White House working group on small business disaster relief financing. Hmm. And I'm like, well, it's not at the actual White House. And so I get on the phone, <laughs> like, you know, I get on the phone and, and, and it's, just, you know, because it's all, we're all in Zoom now, right? You know, so it's this conference call and this, this operator comes on and it says, hello, this is operator 2634587252. Uh, you know, welcome to the, you know, um, you know, welcome to the meeting. Uh, this call is off the record. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to our host, uh, Nicole Fraser. Special assistant to the president. I'm like, what? What? what how, how am I in this meeting right now? Right. <laughs> so you know, Nicole Fraser gets on, and she's the special assistant to the president on you know small you know small business you know disaster financing. And on the line is is the White House and Nicole, uh, the SBA, the Treasury, and the Department of Labor. And basically, they're all saying, "Listen, like we, we're we're all completely overwhelmed. Like you know, we 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 have resources, but we we don't have the pipelines to get it to the small business owners so basically we we need the private sector's help to get this money to small business owners and, and this was i mean this was basically like the birthplace of the ppp um and so that was my big aha moment was wow you know if these if the government's overwhelmed they're saying they they can't manage this and and, and you could you could feel the 
the overwhelm and the tension and, and, and the unknown at the time. Uh, I was like, wow, if, if they don't know what's going on, like, you know, just imagine the small business community. And that was my aha moment. I was like, this is, this is our moment to, to shine. This is our moment to really, to do what, you know, you know, what we were meant to do and kind of, you know, you know, taking a step further, you know, so then we, we got incredibly busy, you know, after that. Um, and I remember, so I, you know, I have a, I have a client who, um, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're institutionally backed and, and, um, and so I worked directly with the CFO. And so this was April and things were just going crazy. And I remember kind of apologizing to the, the CFO saying, Hey, listen, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not as, um, you know, I'm not as available as, you know, I normally am as, you know, got a lot going on. And, and I remember him telling me, he's like, Brad, you know, don't worry about it. You are doing your life's most important work right now. You know, and I was like that. Those words stuck with me for you know even till today, um, because it was a good reminder just of how important at that time how important that work was. So absolutely, yeah, very proud. You know, very proud moments, and and we've done a lot since then. Um, yeah. I'm literally you know millions and millions of dollars of, of different type of aid programs. So it's it's been a something I'm very proud of and, and something that's been very meaningful for, for a lot of people over the past year. Yeah, you've helped a lot of small businesses. All right, before we dive into the ERC, I just want to, since, since you're so well-versed in it with the EIDL, have you heard any rumors or rumblings, grumblings about it possibly being forgiven, those EIDL loans? There's been talk of it, uh, but I, I, I would... I would be surprised um, if they ultimately are. And, and, and the reason being, because, I mean, there's a loan document there. I mean, the, I mean, you signed a, a legal instrument saying that this is, you know, a traditional, you know, debt, uh, you know, a traditional, you know, debt instrument. Um, but you know what? The one thing I have learned in the past year is the crazy things happen for, 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 for crazy reasons. So um, I wouldn't so, bank on it, right. but who, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So, <laughs> so my, and again, for, for those listeners, not to be confused with the grant portion, which was the thousand up to 10,000, we got that uh, for a couple of our businesses, but then we actually qualified and took some of the loans. Our strategy has been not to be in a rush to pay that back because we still yep. have some time before we have to start paying with the possibility that maybe something happens there. Uh, you're not too optimistic, but who knows is what you're saying. Yeah, and, and the EIDL, and I've said this since March of last year, uh, even so I, I said this even before the PPP came out. I, yeah, I, I said the EIDL is a great instrument. It, it's yes. a very flexible financial instrument. I mean, you could use it for almost anything. There are rules around it. And I, I think we're going to see, you know, because, you know, bureaucracy is what bureaucracy is when it comes to actually pay these off and the reporting that kind of comes along with it. Like that's kind of the, uh, you know, there, there are reporting requirements when you, when you pay off the loan um, that kind of that, that you, you have to prove how you spent those funds. So there's going to be some accounting, you know, for that. Um, but the, you know, it's a very flexible and so they just deferred payments for another year until 2022. So that's great. Although you are accruing yeah. interest. So keep that in mind that, yeah. that that's a cost of carrying that. Yeah. There's a, there, there is a carry cost. Absolutely. So, um, but it's flexible and that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to be that cushion that, that gets you over the hump um, in, in, in a way that, um, you know, you know, very few debt instruments are. So, I've always been a fan of the ideal. I think it's a, it's, it's a great instrument just to give you that flexibility that you, you know, that you might need. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into it. Employee retention credit or ERC. What is it? Yeah. So, so this is really, you know, this is the new aid package, if you will. Uh, And it's, it's, it's the, well, I call it the PPP on steroids Uh, and both on, you know, good and bad. So, what what this aid what these credits are is they're they're actually they're refunds and and they they're they're refunds for anywhere between five and uh, five and twenty eight thousand dollars. I mean it's a huge amount of money per per employee, employee. per employee. Uh, and so there's there's basically two versions of it. There's a twenty twenty version. And the 2021 version, even though they're called the same thing, it's all you almost have to think of them as, as, as different programs altogether. Um, but you know, at, at a high level, basically what the government's saying is, if you were affected 
by COVID, they have a bunch of you know qualifiers for what effect to, to define what effect it is, and we'll get into that in a second. But basically, if you were affected by COVID, we want to help subsidize the your your payroll cost uh, in addition to your PPP, um, and if you're a restaurant owner, in addition to any anything you get from the restaurant revitalization fund. So they're they're tax refunds that you you apply for with the IRS. So it's separate from the SBA, it's separate from uh, your bank, it's directly through the IRS. And um, yeah, so they're incredibly lucrative, um, incredibly complex, uh, lots of moving parts to it. But uh, when done right, I mean, really the um, very significant. Yeah. Okay. So it uh, just to make sure we clarify as we're going through yep. here, it's not a loan like the EIDL that we just talked about, or even the, the PPP. This is not, I'm not working with the local bank. This is an application that gets submitted to the IRS. Uh, so that's, that's one part of it. And, and then the spirit of it is to reward, this is in my words, and you'll correct me, to reward us as employers who were able to keep our employees on the payroll. In addition to the PPP money that we may have gotten and we may have gotten forgiven, that was also incenting us to bring people back to work this is further incentive uh, after the fact for having kept people employed. Is that a fair interpretation? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the government wants to, so let's, you know, think back to, to, you know, that, that conference call I was on uh, a year ago, the, the department of labor said, listen, we can't, we, like, we physically are unable to process this level of unemployment claims. Like we can't do it. Like we, we just like, we do not have the infrastructure. Yeah. And so we need businesses to employ people. Like that is what makes our economy work. That like, that is, you know, kind of going on on a tangent here, but I I said, you know, we're no longer a capitalist society. What we are, we are are a laborist society. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, back in 1800s, we had a shortage of capital. We don't have a shortage of capital anymore. We have, we, you know, you know, we have a shortage of labor and we, you know, what keeps this economy going is people working. And so the government said, listen, we need people working. We can't stop that engine. And so that's exactly, you know, what these tax credits are for is the government saying, listen, keep people working. Even if it costs you extra money, even if your sales are down 20, 30, 40, 50, 60%, keep people working, we're going to reimburse you. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to help make you whole uh, for doing that. Yeah. And again, uh, whether or not I got the PPP is irrelevant on whether I qualify. We're going to talk about the qualifiers here more in a minute, but the two things are completely separate, right? It doesn't matter whether I did or didn't get a PPP, whether I did or didn't get it forgiven has nothing to do with this. Correct. Exactly. And I think that's, that's a a very common, uh, 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 misconception, you know, that, that when we're talking with people about this, they're like, oh, well, I already got my PPP, I'm fine. And it's like, no, no, th- these are completely separate. And this is in addition to. Now, there's there's very specific rules around this. And this is where we see people making kind of some unforced errors is the, you could get both programs, but the government's been very clear about this all along. You cannot double dip. So, so if you got the PPP and you use the PPP for certain wages, then you can get the ERC, but you can't apply the ERC to the same wages. So you got to be very careful around dates. Right. So and, there is and some some uh, some calculations that have to be made there, and of course that's one of the things you help people do, so yeah. that you're applying for this credit for a separate period of time than what was covered by the PPP. Is that fair? Exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. And, and again, for most of us, if we were able to retain our employees for some period of time, and that's what you'll help calculate in 2020, then again, uh, the, we should have been able to use both, take advantage of both programs. That's correct. Yep. And so uh, so up to $5,000 per employee in, in 2020. And this is from basically from, from March 15th until the end of the year. So we could go before the PPP, after the PPP, up to, up to $5,000 per employee. So if you have 10 employees, um, I mean, there's potentially $50,000 of, of tax refunds available. Oh, to absolutely. You. I mean, you just did it for, for one of our businesses recently. We won't talk specifics, but it was, it was not trivial. It was a substantial yeah. amount of money for a very small business that we operate. And it was severely impacted. It's our, our frozen yogurt business that I've referred to on this show many times. 
And so you were, you were able to help us qualify for this. Now, you touched on this a little bit as you were referring to, I remember very clearly, because I observed it as well as a coach and with people that I advise, so many people got paralyzed last year because it was so overwhelming, so complicated. I remember talking to some of my clients thinking, but you know, am I then going to be in debt? And, and they, they would just, they didn't trust it to some degree. Mm-hmm. What is this? Similarly here, I know a lot of people would think, is this some kind of special tax sheltering scheme or something that might get me in trouble later? So I, talk to that for a moment to yeah. some people at ease that this is a legitimate program. They got this part of the recent legislation and it's not some kind of manipulation of the tax rules. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that exact concern comes up a, a lot, whether it's, it's explicit or, or implicit. Uh, in fact, uh, um, I was chatting with a, uh, an automotive shop owner about this recently. And he says, he's like, yeah, I don't know, man, like uh, this just all, all this stuff just seems so, it just seems so confusing. Um, and I said, you know, you know, but it's all there. So, it, you know, one of the things I, 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 I let people know is just, you know, Google IRS ERC and, and there's, there's an entire uh, pages upon pages if you go to the IRS website of all these different rules and regulations around around the ERC. But basically, the, a short history of the ERC is this. So back in 2020, back when you know the, uh, the um, CARES Act was passed, we had the PPP and we had the ERC. Um, but back then, mm-hmm. it was either you took the PPP or the ERC. Right. And so, well. You know, you know, you know, five thousand dollars per employee or the PPP. Everyone took the PPP. It was it was a better deal. Um, so nobody really paid attention to the ERC. And I think, as I remember back then, I, I remember thinking or interpreting it as a credit, and that wasn't substantial. It it didn't seem like right. it was money in my bank account as soon as possible. Exactly. Well, exactly. And so, so then, so nobody kind of pays attention. It's kind of this like random program that basically, unless you don't qualify for the PPP, which was almost nobody, nobody used the the ERC. And then on December 27th of last year, Congress you know, and the president passed into law, excuse me, the, you know, in, in updated based on the CARES Act. And what Congress said is, no, 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 it's not either or, it's both. It's both. You just can't use both for those overlapping wages. Right. And so that, that opened the door to this, this huge, you know, this, this, kind of this, this huge opportunity for small business owners. And they went further and said, not only are we going to have the 2020 version where you could do both the PPP and the ERC, as long as you don't overlap, but we're also going to extend this into 2021. And the 2021 version, we're going to set a different parameter for. We're going to increase the amount you could you could be eligible for from $5,000 to up to $7,000 per employee. And we're going to allow, this, you allow you to qualify every single quarter. So now you have up to potentially $28,000 annually for these credits. And that was like the, that, that was the paradigm shift. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the big question becomes, oh my gosh, if, if you, if you're an employee at the IRS, how do you keep up now? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Congress thought about that when they, no. when they put this into place. <laughs> but so be it. This is a, an opportunity for us as business owners who have done our part best we can for those of us who were able to survive it. And then it, I, you know, it's, it's, it stinks for those who haven't, I get it. And I know plenty of people who have had to shut down, but if you yeah. were able to survive it, you were able to retain employees. This is a benefit that we need to take advantage of. The other thing you've mentioned that already, but I think even I didn't quite understand this until you explained it to me a couple of weeks ago, this is an actual refund. I'm going to get a check back from the IRS to the business. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's an actual, re- so they call it credit, but it's really called a refund. And, and it's important to note, too, that these are payroll tax credits. So they're not income tax credits. They're payroll tax. And so it, there's, you know, which if you're not if you're not in the tax world, you might go, well, what's the difference? Sure. Uh, and, and so the payroll tax credit, you know, every single time you, you go to you know, ADP or Paychex or Gust or whoever your payroll company is uh, or you do it yourself, uh, you are paying federal payroll tax. And so, you know, that's going in the system, you know, every single paycheck. And so that's where these refunds are coming from. People go, well, you know, how's this, you know, I, I didn't make any money, I, you know, refund, credit, you know. So separate from your income tax. So these are payroll tax credits, comes out of your payroll tax filings. Um, and so 
that's the that's the first thing here. And the second part is is these will actually be checks that the IRS will send you in the mail to you know for this amount. So it's not a credit. You know, when people think credit, they're like, oh, well, it's just money I don't have to pay in the future. No, these are actually refunds against refunds. like payroll tax you, you already paid. Now, and it doesn't impact me future years from a tax perspective either. Correct. Correct. If you get the check, it's just it's it's right now. It's it's current years. Now you can elect to just to take it as a credit and just basically, you know, as a payroll tax credit in future years, it's just that most people say, well, no, just give me the check. Just like, give me the cash know, now. Yeah. Just give me the cash. Like, yeah, I know, I don't know because I can redeploy that in other things, marketing or whatever, because there's no restrictions right. on what I can use that money for. If we think back to the PPP loans, there's no exactly. restrictions on that, right? I can Once use it you for whatever money, I want to use it in my business. And that's the thing. I mean, heck, you. I mean, it, it, if you want to buy a boat with it, you can. Yeah, Whereas, you can distribute it and, and, and take it as profit if you want to, right? Yep. I mean, okay. And it, yeah, so I mean, there's truly no restrictions on it. And mm-hmm. and whereas you, you might remember when the PPP came out, some people were cavalier with with the 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 funds, and Absolutely. they would buy boats, and they would buy watches, and they would buy cars, and the feds came and said, no, 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 yeah. you can't do that. Uh, that's not the case here. Yeah. And none of us listening are doing that because that's, that's not what we do. It's not the right thing to do. No, uh, the right thing to do here. And from my perspective is I'm, I'm going to take this money and either keep it as reserve to get through any other downturns. I'm going to invest it into marketing and advertising to get my, try to get my business back up to pre COVID levels. That's, that's what I'm going to do with it. And I think that's what most small business owners will do with it. Oh, absolutely. I, I think the, the, the one thing I, I, I've been just blown away by just in, in a very positive way, you know, in the past year is just the just how amazing the small business community is. And I mean, because there are a lot of people who I know who, quote unquote, did the right thing without anybody asking them to without absolutely. without the government coming in and town, they just did the right thing. They, 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 they paid for people's time off. They, 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 they went out of their way to take care of their, their employees and nobody asked them to do it. Nobody told them to do it. They just said like, this is, this is the right thing to do. And just, you know, it's small business is what this country is founded on. It's the backbone uh, of our country. And, and I, me personally, just being in the trenches for the past year, saw firsthand just how amazing the, the small business community is. And, and, and I say that because I, I think sometimes business owners get, you know, sometimes we get vilified in the media because, you know, the media will kind of lump small business with big business and be like, oh, you're the, you know, pistachio monopoly man. And, you know, that's not the case in the small business world. And I, I've just seen just so many stories of just like people doing the right thing. It's just, it's been, it's been very heartwarming um, because, you know, frankly, in the past year, people could have done some really, you know, selfish things. Uh, and rarely, rarely, if ever, did I see that happen? Yeah, no, well said. Couldn't agree with you more, Brad. That's been my observation as well. In fact, almost as we've touched on to the extreme where people have said, you know what, I don't know if I really need that. Let it, let other people take it. I've heard that I've heard, you know, I just don't want to get in trouble. And so they're afraid of it. So almost sometimes to their detriment are small business owners like I have no intention of doing the wrong thing with this money. I don't want to get in trouble. But the thing we have to understand as business owners is if you if you were impacted, this is what the government is doing to help us so that we can stay in business and our continue our businesses return to to prosperous and profitable times. And so you have to take advantage of these opportunities. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, adding to that, I mean, so I've heard the same thing time and time again. And this is what the government puts out there. Um, you, you know, it, it is it, as business owners. It, I think sometimes it's hard for us to ask for help. Yeah, um, good point. Right? You, you, you know, we, we, we as as entrepreneurs, we 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 pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We we figure it out. We don't need you know, you know, we're not going to ask for help. But you know, especially from the government, for you know, a lot of times it's kind of mentality. But you know, I, I often counsel my clients is, is you know we have to kind of put our our bureaucrat hats on and think about this from the point of view of, of, of a bureaucrat. And they put these rules out there because they're, they're so afraid of like, you know, someone's going to take advantage of them. And, and, and we have to just remember they put this out here for us to use. They did it for a reason. So it really is, you know, as you know, we're responsible for our employees, responsible for our business, we're responsible for a lot of things. Like, and so, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we should take it and, and be ethical and be legal about it and follow all the rules. But, you know, the, remember, 
if you qualify by 0.1%, then, then you qualify, you know, don't, don't, you know, because if you're off by 0.1% on the opposite side, the bureaucrats going to say, well, you know, sorry, you, you don't qualify. They're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. So you kind of have to put that bureaucrat hat on when you're thinking about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Good perspective. All right. So speaking of the rules at a high level, give me a little bit of what qualifies me or what might qualify me for this tax credit. Yeah. So it's kind of this basically, I'd say, uh, you know, we'll call it, you know, four main qualifiers. Uh, so, you know, revenue, well, to, so let's break it down to the two, the two big ones, revenue reduction and, you know, uh, full or partial suspension. And so I'll kind of break both of those down. So revenue reduction, it's kind of some of the PPP on a quarter quarterly basis where your revenues down by for 2021, 20% compared to the same quarter in 2019. So for example, if you're in, you know, we're, you know, we're now in the second quarter. So, uh, you know, are you, you know, so if we want to qualify for the second quarter where your revenues down this quarter, Q2 2021 versus Q2 2019, or, you know, you could say, you know, Q1 2021 versus Q1 2019. So if there's a 20% reduction, then you, then you qualify. Um, that's for 2021. For 2020, it's a higher threshold. It's a 50% reduction. So um, same thing, you know, so, you know, Q2 is when a lot of people got, you know, severely impacted, but Q4 is bad for a lot of people too. Uh, so either Q2, Q4, kind of the typical quarters that, that we see that 50% revenue reduction uh, for 2020. So that's kind of, you know, high, high end. Yeah. So let me uh, ask you a couple of questions. Sorry, yeah. Cause I am still a little confused. The, okay. the 2021 period is what period of time? Is this going to run for until a certain point in 2021? I'm still not following that. Got it. Yeah. So, it, so it was recently extended. It's going to be the full year. So we have the okay. option to qualify every single quarter. Now you have to requalify every okay. quarter. All right. So uh, every, I could, if I qualify, file for this on a quarterly basis. Correct. Okay. And so you I can actually, get that. I thought it was yep. a one-time only thing, but that's not correct. Yeah, so so we could continue to file if your if your revenues continue to be impacted, uh, and you qualify, we continue to file for the rest of the year. And again, the threshold this year, so first quarter of twenty twenty one, if my revenues were twenty percent less than they were in twenty twenty, I could. That's one of the qualifiers. Twenty nineteen. Oh, 19. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. That makes a lot more sense. So in other words, I'm still being impacted, but not as severely as last year, but I'm still being impacted comparison to pre-COVID. Yep, exactly. And so, so the, the way the government thinks about this is 2019 is the base year. That it's was the, the quote, quote, yeah. normal year. And so we compare everything back to that 2019 period. Yeah. Now uh, in 2020, when I look back, like you helped us for, for I top it, we, we looked at the periods of time that were not covered by PPP and were those quarters 50% down compared to 2019. So, so we have the 50% threshold, but then for I top it, some of those quarters weren't, weren't down because you know, especially in the summertime, things started yes. to get better. Right. And so on, on those quarters, then we had, we have what's called the other qualifiers, which the, which the full or partial shutdown. And so there's, I mean, this is where, and this is the part that gets fun for me because it's like, it's <laughs> like that puzzle piece, right? How do you put everything together? But there's, there's a list of things that what actually defines a full or partial shutdown. So, you know, I'll kind of, you know, walk through a few examples. Um, and this is where a lot of businesses, even if they have the revenue reduction, still do qualify. And so the, the easiest way to think about that is, was your business, in the words the IRS uses, is more than nominally, nominally affected by a government mandate? So Let's translate that to you know everyday <laughs> speak. <laughs> so right now, so so are you? So I think the easiest analogy is think about a restaurant. Uh, you know, I'm a restaurant owner. You know, I you know I run I top it right, and you know because I'm a retail uh, restaurant uh, business. You know the you know the, the the my state governor came out and said, listen, we are you know we're putting social distancing guidelines in place and we're restricting restaurants to maybe take out only or maybe 25% capacity. 
and you have to have six feet of social distance in place for you know, all your employees. So, you know, all these things. So right now that feels very normal, right? It feels like that's just how we do business, but we have to put ourselves in this mentality of what was business like in 2019 when people could just walk in and order stuff and we didn't have to worry about, you know, you know, six feet of distance and 25% capacity and takeout only and contactless pickup and contactless delivery and all that sort of stuff. And so when you put all those things together, in order to comply with the state mandates, your business had to make a bunch of changes. Right. Uh, and, and they weren't, it wasn't just, you know, you, you, you can't say, listen, I, I, my employees have to wear a mask and gloves. Like that's nominal. That's, I mean, come on. Like, but we're talking about, you know, in aggregate, you know, you know, did you have to reduce capacity? Did you have to change the way you did business? Were, you know, were your hours restricted? Um, you know, you know, were, you know, you know, you know, was the amount of people you were allowed in your building restricted? You know, so there's all sorts of kind of qualifiers around this and that's, that's that that full or partial shutdown um, that you you qualify for. Now it's it's a it's not an and but it's an or. Is that correct? In other words, it could be yes. the drop or so either one of those might qualify me for this tax credit. Exactly. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. It's it's or. So it's either your sales are reduced, and that's the easiest qualifier, right? Because it's black and white. Yeah. I can or. Yeah, or you have these 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 government mandates, uh, and especially if you have any sort of retail component to your business, any sort of you know face to face component to your business, then you know there's a high likelihood that based off your state restrictions, you qualify for this. Yeah, yeah. And I it, mean, like like you mentioned, for Itopic, we we were impacted multiple times. Initially, we had to shut down all inside dining. Yeah, and we are primarily an inside dining type restaurant. We don't do a lot of takeout because it's self-serve frozen yogurt. It melts and we, we don't do delivery. So it was a high impact. Then yeah. we had the once we were able to reopen inside, it was on a limited basis. And then we got shut down again for dine in in December when there was a surge. So twice we were severely impacted by government mandated uh, restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, so there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff there. So that's where it's just building up the, 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 the analogy I always use is, is, you know, you, you, you build the book report, right. And so that, so that if you, if somebody comes and says, well, Hey, three years from now, Hey, prove this to me. Right. We, we have everything right there. Right. right. You, you know, cause three years from now, you're not going to remember all this stuff. If you, you think you will, but you're not. So, you know, we build the book report so that, you know, when somebody comes knocking on your door saying, hey, prove it to me, you say, well, here's my book report and you move on. Um, and they move on to the next person rather than kind of, you know, asking to justify everything that you can't really remember three years from now. Yeah. So uh, we've touched on it, but uh, restaurants, bars, theaters, retailers, you know, again, if you've got, a, a, if you were impacted by people being able to come to you to do business, are there other categories uh, that you've been seeing uh, that are good examples that might qualify of types of businesses? Yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, a, a lot of folks who run essential businesses kind of think, oh, man, like, you know, I don't qualify. Right. So if you think about like manufacturing or, or you know, I, I know a lot of folks in the automotive, you know, industry and automotive was essential. Um, mm -hmm. um, but what, what, you know, what we found as we dive deeper is that they absolutely do qualify, uh, even if the revenues, you know, weren't as severely impacted, but for, through what we through the, what the IRS calls a supply chain disruption. I see. Uh, and so the supply chain disruption is where your vendors were, were impacted uh, and unable to deliver critical goods and supplies to you because they had to comply with government mandates. Um, we've also found that, for example, you know, I'll, I'll use, you know, um, you know, automotive is an example is an essential business. So, you know, an essential business, but they were allowed to stay open, but they, in order, just because you were allowed to continue to operate doesn't mean that you didn't have to make significant changes to your business to continue to operate. So, sure. um, so you know, kind of the idea of contact list customer options, uh, even you know, simply reorganizing um, the your your work layout. I have one client who had to actually remodel his his front office where his staff was in order to maintain uh -huh. that social distance. Um, I had another client who, you know, they have with they would have daily release meetings, um, and you know they had to stop those because they, they couldn't get you know the the team together, and there wasn't really a way to do it virtually. Um, you know, they they would. Um, I had another client who, because you know they would they were getting goods and supplies every day, but then 
their vendors started doing contactless. They had to put implement, you know, contactless, you know, you know, pick up, drop off um, of their goods and supplies. So, you know, a big part of it is really thinking through, okay, well, like, you know, documenting, you know, because the word nominals, you know, hey, do I have to wear a face mask? But, you know, in aggregate, all these things that we had to do in order to comply with what the government mandates are, let's make sure we document them. And because if we had to change the way we do, we do business, let's just, you know, yeah, let's document it. Let the government know and, and and let them know that we qualify accordingly. Yeah, great points. Great points. All right. So, you know, as I shared at the beginning of this conversation, I've known Brad for some time. He's just helped us with iTopit to get this credit because if you're like me, this is we've taught you. You can just tell by talking about it. I get the high points, but it's an overwhelming process and. Brad has become expert at this and has a process and a methodology and has been able to do this now for numerous clients. So that's why we went with him. What I'm excited now to share with you is a special offer from Brad for our listeners to take advantage of this. If this sounds like something you might qualify, then listen, it's very easy. What Brad is offering to our listeners is a free consultation. So there's no, there's no commitment there. He'll chat with you. In fact, what we're going to have is a link on the show notes page for this episode. You'll find a link there for this episode that'll take you to a quick questionnaire that'll ask some high-level qualifying questions and then get you scheduled with a call with Brad to talk about this to see if it is potentially something that he might be able to help you with. But it gets better because the way he, the way wait, he wait, charges, there's more. There's more. There's more knives. <laughs> the way he charges for this, I love because this this makes such business sense. He takes a percentage. He takes fifteen percent of whatever he is able to qualify you for legally. In other words, whatever that refund is going to be. So he's taking just a percentage. There's essentially no out of pocket because he's taking a percentage of what he helps me qualify for in the way of this tax credit return, because remember that it is a check that the IRS is going to send back to me. And so he takes, he just takes 15% of that. There's no upfront fee. There's no guarantee. There's no retainer, none of those kinds of things. Now to make it even better for the how a business listeners is of that 15% fee, he'll give you a 10% discount. If you mentioned the how a business, or if you simply go to the link, on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com and go through him to him through that link, he'll know that you heard about this offer on the How of Business podcast. So this is a great opportunity. If any of what we have talked about seems like, yep, I think that is me, but I'm not sure, which is, is most of us, it's okay to not be sure, but don't leave this opportunity on the table as we've talked about here. This is something that you should take well advantage of. And, and it's a program that's there to help us as small business owners who tried to do our part and are continuing to do our part to keep people employed and to keep our businesses operating. So again, it's a, a free consultation with Brad. He'll have that further discussion with you to try to analyze, yep, I think we can, we can get you this tax credit or no. And then if he does, your fee is based on a percentage of what that tax refund would be. And on top of that, for the How of Business listeners, you get a 10% reduction on that fee. So great opportunity. Go to the howofbusiness.com, go to the show notes page for this episode with Brad Mavis, and that's where you'll find more information about this. Thanks for sharing that offer with us, Brad. I think that is a tremendous opportunity that's gonna help even more small business owners. It, it's it's absolutely my my pleasure. It's and as as my clients demand, you know, I'm doing my most important work right now, and and I really do believe that. So I really appreciate the the trust uh, that you've placed in me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the stuff. Like I said, I think the stuff is fun. People are like, dude, like like <laughs> I, mean, I have I, I have accounts who refer the stuff to me. They're like, I don't. They're like, I want nothing to do with this. I'm I like, I love it. this stuff. <laughs> I know for most of us, our eyes glassed over, but, but yeah, listen, the responsibility we have as small business owners though, is to, to, to take advantage of all of these opportunities that help our business continue to survive and be profitable again. Uh, so, all right, we'll start to wrap it up. I'm always looking for book recommendations. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? 
Uh, you know, the book I just recently read is, is Rocket Fuel, um, and it's been great for, for my business, and I've recommended it to a number of, of, of my clients, and, and, and they're loving it. So uh, very readable, very easy. Uh, you can get through it quick, but Rocket Fuel, is a, a, that's top of mind right now for me. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Gino Wickman, who's the author. That Rocket Fuel, obviously, is one of the secondary books after Traction, and so if you've heard of traction or the entrepreneurial operating system, that's, that's what uh, rocket fuel is about is kind of how to grow your company. I'm an e-leap collaborator, which is that I've, I've have a marketing relationship and partnership with Gino Wickman for his latest book called entrepreneurial leap. But thank you for that recommendation. I have not read rocket fuel yet, but I've heard it's fantastic. It really is. All right, let's summarize it. One thing you want us to take away from this conversation about the employee retention credit. Don't be intimidated, right? You know, don't, when you look at this, it, it could look like a lot of moving parts. It could look like, ah, I don't know. People don't like doing stuff with the IRS. Um, you know, I, I think the, there's an, a, a, a client of mine, his accountant, um, said this to him. He's like, listen, there's a lot of moving parts here, but there's a lot of money here if you do it right. Like, like you need to take it, like, take advantage of it. It's there for a reason. And where would you like us to go online to learn more about you and the Mavis Group? Uh, so I have a website like we all do. So uh, <laughs> MavisCFO.com. Uh, and, and, and my last name is kind of a funky spelling. It's a German last name. So it's M-E-W. ESCFO.com. Yeah. And if you're thinking that sounds nothing like Mavis, you're right. <laughs> Muse group would probably be. The other. <laughs> so M E W E S group. M E W E S CFO.com. CFO.com. Got it. And if you haven't written that down, I'll have a link to that as well on a show notes page for this episode at the how And again, that's where you'll find the, the information and the link to take advantage of this special offer on Brad's services to help you potentially get the employee retention credit. If you happen to talk to Brad directly and you're not getting the 10%, just, just mention to him that you heard about this on the How a Business podcast and he will take care of you. Absolutely. Brad, very educational. I always love it when I learn lots and having these conversations. Thanks for being so transparent, for sharing all this valuable information and for being with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Brad Mavis. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.